I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us in the Walk of My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Savannah Hamilton. She is a host and producer at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. In front of the camera, she hosts a weekly Raptors show, Raptors Today, and is a featured host on the show NBA XL, aired on NBA TV Canada. Digitally, she creates a series called Hold Space that celebrates game changers on and off the court, which features diverse stories ranging from communities within the Leafs, TFC, and Raptors. Behind the scenes, Savannah has contributed to shows such as Budweiser, Stage at Home, The Hangout, and many MLSE productions. She has a background in basketball as a former varsity player, as well as a degree in radio and television sports media from Ryerson University. So please welcome to the show, Savannah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reading all of that bio. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) making me feel important or something (laughs) but you are important (laughs) I appreciate you I appreciate you really looking forward to having a conversation on the infamous um walking my stilettos so I'm really looking forward to it thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us you know we we both spoke on an event the other day and I got to hear part of your story and I was like wow I need to have her on the podcast I need more you know, people to hear her story. I need my community to hear her story. So thank you for saying yes. Oh, anytime, anytime. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to jump straight into your story. Start at the very beginning. Before we get to where you are today, I want to know, like, what did Savannah want to be when she was a little girl? Oh man, that's a good question already. (laughs) I was one of those kids. Yeah. I was one of those kids that like had a thousand dreams and it was so hard to narrow down for the longest time because I was like, I changed my mind every single day what I wanted to be. But for the most part, um, I think the the earliest thing I can remember was I wanted to be a singer like Alicia Keys because, mm. and I think about it now, I'm thinking, well, there wasn't a whole lot of women who looked like me in the media or in anywhere. Um, so I think the first woman that looked like me, I was like, I want to, I want to do what she's doing. And I think she's so cool. Um, but that got shot down really quick by a family member who was like, you know, old traditionalist. Shout out to grandma. Um, I was like, you can't be a singer. Don't be, don't be a singer. I was like, that's like a whatever. I was like, oh, oh okay, true. Um, and now I look back and I'm like, actually, with given everything that can happen today, you never know. But um, that's one of my earliest ones. But then after that, pretty much I settled on wanting to be a vet like my mom. 
And I mm-hmm. had that all the way up until high school. Wow. Okay. So when we were speaking on the event the other day, you talked about, you know, you how you even got into basketball and your journey and how you got to where you are today. So I would love if you could share with the listeners now how that journey began. You know, just even on the same note of, uh, you know, what I wanted to do for a living, like growing up, this is where like the tables kind of turned um, grade 11, actually, to be specific. I was watching and paying attention a lot more to basketball and NBA. Um, you know, I played basketball growing up my entire life. Um, grew up watching the Raptors. My dad would always have them on TV. He would even make us like say like, when I grow up, I want to be just like Vince Carter. Like he would literally have <laughs> us say that before we go to any basketball camp or something like that. Um, and so I've always had basketball very much embedded into my life. And so time grade 11 rolled around. And like I said, like I wanted to be a vet before. Um, but, you know, I had a, unfortunately, a bad biology teacher. I was talking about this the other day with my friend who had the same biology teacher. She's like, yeah, it was brutal. Um, but at the same time, I was also excelling at a couple of media courses that my high school had to offer us. And one of them was like video storytelling. So I was like on the, in the computer lab almost every single day, spending even extra time in there. If I could like befriending the teacher and like (laughs) video editing and like just thinking of all these creative ideas, I started doing things for fun around the school, creating promotions, like just needlessly. Um, but they ended up being used anyway, some way, somehow. And then um, at the same time, like I started to see uh, what, when I was watching more NBA basketball, more intentionally, not just kind of like in passing, I saw this woman named Sage Steele. And I was like about 16 at the time. And she was covering the NBA finals. And she has a, a few shows on like ESPN. And I was like, oh, whoa, like, that woman looks like me. Like she has curly hair like me. Um, She's around my skin tone and she just, I just, she looks like me. I didn't think that a woman that could look like me does that. Like it kind of, something in my head clicked. And I just remember like whipping out my like tablet at the time and like Googling her immediately and like reading up all of her bios and everything. And then like, I started paying a lot close attention to, um, like other hosts for the NBA and like other sideline reporters and looking up like, how did they get to where they are? And so the time that like, um, I like, that's kind of like the flip of the switch of my head. I was like, well, you know, biology class ain't going that well. But at the same time, all this media stuff is going well. And like seeing a woman that looks like me doing something really cool involving basketball. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I can see myself doing that. And, um, yeah. And then I got accepted into Ryerson. I played for the Ryerson women's basketball team. Um, that was a whole journey to itself and, um, you know, made the right connections and networks and found myself at NBA TV Canada as you know, behind the scenes and then kind of worked my way up into being on air. Took a lot of hustling. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, I heard a couple of things in there. So even from a young age, your dad had you guys doing affirmations, basically, yep. you know, <laughs> before yep. basketball games. So that's, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of affirmations. So I was like, okay. So he had it, you know, he started the programming in your mind from a young age. So I, I hear that. I hear that. And then when you talked about seeing Sage Steel on TV and, you know, you saw a woman that looked like you, that had your curly hair, that was your skin tone. You know, sometimes there there may be some people that don't understand the full meaning of representation matters. No matter what gender you are, no matter what color you are, no matter like 
seeing someone in a position gives you hope of what is possible for you. You know, sometimes when we don't see anyone that looks like us in certain areas, it's almost like, well, I don't know, can I? So it's, you know, the way that you were able to see that representation and now look, you're doing the same thing. Like those things are so, so important. It's crazy. It's wild. Like, um, like, and, and, and re- what really stood out to me, cause I, I think back to the time and I was like, was that the first time I've ever seen a black woman on TV, like covering NBA? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So then what made me, what made Sage like stand out to me? And I think it was honestly like her curly hair that looked like mine. I was like, it looked just, I was like, wait a minute. Like I've, I don't really remember seeing a whole lot of black women who wear their hair naturally. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you know, like, I, I, like I'm guilty of it. Like go to a job interview, straighten my hair, look mm-hmm. a little bit more white passing, um, mm-hmm. a little bit more like palatable, if you would want to say mm-hmm. for whoever's interviewing you. Right. We don't come out with like the big fro or like the braid up, like, you mm-hmm. know, like that's, all embedded into our culture but at the same time it's like that's we also know that's not accepted so when i saw a woman just completely herself on tv i was like oh like wow. that just resonated with me so i love it i love it i well i, I think about my my own daughters because my my children are mixed as well and you know them growing up with wearing their hair big and curly and then as they got into high school, getting obsessed with, you know, well, my eldest getting obsessed with straightening her hair because she wanted, you know, to, to fit in or what seemed more accessible um, or acceptable, sorry. And my, my middle daughter, I call her my challenger child, but she wanted to ha- have her hair locked like with dreadlocks. And she was little because my father and my brothers have their hair um, locked. And when she was in the fifth grade, I allowed her to start locking her hair. And now she's known for that. She's turning 20 next month, but she's known for her locks on social media. Like, you know, when we're used to seeing Black women and even mixed girls or, you know, it's like a lot of industries will expect you to have a certain look and say that other looks are unacceptable. And I know I have so many family and friends in the US where they're, you know, they've, they're still sending me articles where having dreadlocks is unacceptable in certain, whether it be sports or media or, or other environments. So they're just, you know, loving the fact that my daughter's natural hair in the state that it is has become so popular. Like she's, I don't know. I think she's hit way over a million followers on TikTok and half a million on Instagram just because of her hair. No way. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That is so sick. <laughs> yeah. Good for her. <laughs> it's it's wild. Like so much of our, like, sorry to ramble on the hair, but like so much of our identity is literally in our hair. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's, it's such a, I don't know. So it's so personal to me too. Cause like I was a kid that was bullied in like middle school. Um, mm-hmm. for having big fluffy curly hair that you know and and also keep in mind that like my mom I, I love her I appreciate her she just done a lot for me but she just didn't know how to take care of our hair mm-hmm. um, and like and, and so like I would go to school with it not looking the best but at the same time it was like that was also like the staple of getting teased or being right. made fun of for being biracial and so right. now when I'm doing my thing on camera like I, I almost make it a point to wear my hair like in some sort of um, culturally black style, um, mm-hmm. whether that's my natural hair or I've worn it in braids um, or I've done like slick backs with like big curly ponytails. So love it. 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything for us. It is. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Like even speaking of identity. So let's jump into the fact that you're a twin. Is it, yeah. are you identical twin? I am actually fraternal twin. Fraternal twin. Okay. So how is it to even find your own identity as a twin? How has that been for you? Oh man. Uh, that was rough when the moment we had to separate actually, um, it was, it was difficult because like, you know, we're, we're twins. Like some people ask me, what's it like to be born a twin? And I'm like, what's it like to be born alone? Mm. Like I literally don't know. Like I mm-hmm. couldn't tell you. I feel like I always like tell um, some people that like my, my twin feels like a backup hard drive in the fact that wow. like all the memories, the childhood memories I have, like if I forget something, she'll remember it and vice mm-hmm. versa. And so it's almost like when you have such an embedded I, like history with somebody, you like it, it comes with so many emotions, right? Nostalgia. I wouldn't even know what to do if, uh, you know, something ever happened to her. Like I would literally like lose it. But um, so kind of like having a small taste of what li- life would be without her was mm-hmm. very shocking to me when I was about 18 years old. Um, and like she, so I did a victory lap of high school just because I wasn't sure which university I wanted to go to yet. Mm-hmm. And she was committed to Alabama. So she went straight to Alabama. So that was the first year that we were ever separated. And wow. I always remember like to this day, it's like in my head, like the white van that my mom was driving at the time, like pulling out of the driveway and like me thinking like, okay, like this is where life changes. Like nothing is ever going to be the same because she's gone. Um, and then I totally fell into depression. Like, I don't think my parents really recognized it at the time, but Mm-hmm. totally was like situational depression right then and there would go up to my room literally never come out and like it's kind of funny because my parents are pretty strict growing up but it got to the point where like I would literally like never show my face I would literally just like, go in my room watch Netflix sleep go to practice sleep like wow and, like, it was not much of a life happening but my parents recognized something was wrong because like I said they were strict so I didn't really like hang out that that much with my friends growing up but mm-hmm. the, the moment I asked, like, my parents, I was like, oh, um, do you mind if I go downtown Toronto with, like, my best friend Brianna and, like, you know, just kind of, like, walk around Ryerson campus? I wasn't even committed at the time. They're like, yes, go, go now, go, get out of your room. Yes, leave, go get some air. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wow. Like, and this is me never having been to Toronto, let alone, like, by myself with a friend. Like, so definitely um, finding my identity was a huge huge shock and I was I was crying a lot wow I'm I'm even as you're telling your story you know I'm, I'm holding my heart and I'm I'm feeling for you and I, I'm almost feeling that pain that you were feeling at that time and I'm not a twin I don't have a twin sister I have no idea what it feels like even when you said you know what's it like being born alone because you don't know what that feels like and you know you said the situational depression you know with your sister going away to school it's like you hear someone's story, but there's always a part of their story that you can connect with on an emotional level, even if your story isn't exactly the same. Like as you're talking, and I said I'm I'm holding my te- my chest, and I'm thinking, you know, so my sister, um, my older sister, passed away in 2012, and I went through like a massive depression and could barely function, could barely take care of my kids, and I've had so many people reach out to me since, and they're just like, well, I wouldn't know what to do without my sibling. I wouldn't know, you know, if anything ever happened to my sibling, I don't know what, what I would do, but you like 
you were in the womb with your sister. And then for 18 years, you guys are inseparable and you're sharing all the same memories. And then she goes off to school. So I know that you've had to find your own identity, even in the industry that you were in, you know, in, in terms of even separating yourself from your sister. Can, can you share that part of your story with us? Absolutely. And first and foremost, like, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I've heard you like talk about the loss of your sibling before and like, it's still, you know, it hurts my heart. Like I'm like already trying to keep it together. Cause like, <laughs> I couldn't even like fathom the pain that that must've come with. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, you turned, you know, something that was awful, horrendous happening to you into something beautiful by having this podcast and by Thank giving you. a platform to other voices. And that like speaks like volumes to me. Thank you. Um, yeah. Like literally I'm like, Oh, I'm literally tearing up. <laughs> um, yeah. So like my identity then in the um, like the, the media industry, it formed um, through a lot of the lessons that I learned growing up, I think. So like uh, me and my twin, like we both played on the same basketball teams, like the same rep leagues, everything. Like she did something, I did something. So it was like, um, with that being said, like, because we're fraternal, she was actually a few inches taller than me. And I'm tall, like standing alone without shoes on, I'm 5'11". Mm. And so add shoes, that's about six foot. And then obviously in the basketball world, you, you boost yourself up an <laughs> extra inch. And so they listed me as 6'1". That's pretty tall for a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they listed her as 6'4" which is a unicorn in the women's basketball like industry. So, you know, you see a girl six, one walk into the gym. Whoa. Wow. She's tall. Mm -hmm. See a girl six, four walk in right after wait, six, one, who like it's like six, whoa, six, four. You can't teach height straight up. There's no Mm -hmm. teaching height. Mm -hmm. So with that always in the back of my head and knowing that like she had automatically like a lot of eyeballs for schools and everything on her. um, I just knew I had to work literally three times harder just to be seen like let my game do the talking because there's nothing that I could change about Mm -hmm. my height Mm -hmm. um and so and she was also very talented as a 6'4 player she wasn't just like 6'4 that's it like she's also like stupid skilled um (laughs) and so uh our our one-on-one games would be epic like they they got they got hot and they got mod and like oh it was always on it was always on between us um but yeah so I kind of refined my game kind of around her game so that we on the court we complimented each other um to the point where like a lot of schools were asking us as like a package deal being like okay like we can get the both of you um but the schools that were doing that like they weren't the both they weren't ideal for both of us so we Mm -hmm. we can't do that um but yeah, so because I learned how to work like three times harder to get noticed, um, I ended up kind of like keeping that mentality, um, pursuing now into my professional media career because, you know, as a black woman, um, and it's kind of like, it's interesting because that's a whole different identity conversation because, you know, mm-hmm. I am actually biracial, but I've, it took me a long time to realize that even though I am biracial, the world's not seeing me as that. The world's exactly. seeing a black woman. Yep. So like, um, and trust me, that took me like almost even recently to realize like past couple of years. And so, you know, when I'm now in um, media, like reporting and, you know, I, I think about 
who else is in this space in Canada? And I know there's one woman, she's fantastic. I've had coffee many times with her. We text each other once in a while, Kayla Gray. She works Mm. for TSN. She's a voice. She's been very vocal about Black Lives Matter and other social justice instances outside of sports. Um, And she's very, she's a leader in our industry. And after her, I'm thinking, okay, well, who the next, you know, Black woman in Canada covering sports? And I'm like, looking around, I'm like, wait, oh, snap, it's me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, crap. Like, one, she's like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, and it be, all of a sudden, it becomes a bit like a lot of weight to carry. Um, mm-hmm. And it comes with like, you know, the how did I get in this position? Like, yeah, like I hustled my tail off and my line was not straight. Like, even though I you know networked um, at and got my way into NBA TV Canada, I actually had to leave NBA TV Canada um, and you know, work for CBC for a little bit, worked a little bit at Tangerine Bank for a little bit um, mm-hmm. before an opportunity opened back up at, you know, the network um, with being with the Raptors. And it took a black female producer behind the scenes to put me, a black mm-hmm. female, on air host in front of a camera. And for me, like, that's just, it's just so... um remarkable that you know I, w- I was always telling people at the network hey I want to be on camera I want to be on camera but the opportunity just wasn't there and hey maybe it was a coincidence that the opportunity came and she happened to be the producer but I do think that like it's the whole representation thing it was somebody who you know could identify with me who made a decision to also like see me and like see right. what I could do and the potential I had at the time because I was not that great and she worked with me and she took the time and I like so I, I'm very grateful grateful to to her to this day she's a really good friend of mine wow see well i believe nothing happens by chance so i wouldn't say that it was a a coincidence Mm -hmm. but i i believe it's necessary and a beautiful thing that a black woman behind the camera saw you and was willing to work with you and put you in front of the camera because she probably understands deep down how important it is for other women to see you in front of the camera like a couple years ago i attended an event in Toronto at the the Twitter um, headquarters with, uh, it was focused on black women in media and media from radio, television, you know, women who were behind the camera, in front of the camera. So you, you knew you had Tracy Moore there, like you had all of these women that were there and just openly speaking about their experiences. And one woman got up to speak and literally broke down in tears at how heavy the weight is, even for someone who was behind the camera on a predominantly non-black um, environment to even feel like she has to speak up and carry the world of black people on her shoulders because when they're having meetings about things and she's like well you know that that doesn't represent us well or that you know and having to fight and be the one to represent so i think you know her seeing you and putting you in front of the camera and sharing that space because there's also women that are in those positions that are not willing to put someone on and to be a sponsor for someone and to mentor them and to guide them. So I think mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing. Oh, absolutely. It's it's incredible because even to your point of, you know, working behind the scenes, like that's where I was for the most part of for the majority of my career so far, like ever since entering the, the industry almost like seven years ago, you know, on camera has only been really like, well, full time has been this past year, but then, you know, a little bit of freelance has been like the year before. So two out of the seven years, like the rest of the years have been multiple different positions behind the scenes too. Cause like, you know, you can't just be, and that's the other thing I also, I also carried with me. And like, as a black woman, I felt like I couldn't just be good at one thing. Like I had to be good at multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, and I'm sure like, that's kind of an industry skill that I would recommend for anyone, but it's almost like, don't give them a reason to replace you. Like, Mm -hmm. don't give them a reason to, you know, choose somebody else over you. Like, make sure you have multiple skill sets, um, to, to, to make yourself like that much more valuable. Cause you know, once again, it goes back to the working like harder, but with that comes, you know, the racialized trauma of like, um, Mm -hmm. that you have to carry like in your workplace and like to your, to your point, you know, the woman that was working behind the scenes and feeling like she had to, you know, speak up for her community. It's like, that's a lot to speak up because like one, like not everybody in the community is going to agree with you. Right. So you're kind of like making a blanket statement for everybody. And it's, it's kind of an uncomfortable position to put yourself in. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, it's, um, it's also a necessary one because if you didn't say anything, even if people will disagree with you, um, you know, you wouldn't have been heard period. You wouldn't be representing at all. So Mm -hmm. it's almost like stay silent and don't represent at all or say something with the chance of, you know, you're not just the voice for for all black people who exist in Canada, but at least you are a voice for uh, as such. So it's a tough position to be in for sure. Like I, even when I think of like, in terms of, I don't know, I guess mental health, like how you navigate as a black woman in a white male dominated field. Like, does that, how, I guess, how have you been able to cope with the mental health aspect of that? Because that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Like I'm, I've been very fortunate to have such an amazing support system around me um, that gives me time of day to, to really vent. Um, And I've had therapy in the past. It's something actually funny enough. I don't really talk about, Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I do think it's about time that we normalize therapy in the black community. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So much like trauma that we've been through and that we carry through generations, like, like not to be drastic, but slavery was not that long ago. Segregation mm-hmm. was literally within my parents' generation. Mm-hmm. Like interracial marriage in the States was allowed in 1967. My parents wow. were born in 1964 and 65. So it's wow. like, that was like, they were born and they weren't, they wouldn't have been allowed to like get married or, you know, mm-hmm. have us essentially. And so, you know, that's, it comes with like all those weights that you don't even realize that you're subconsciously carrying that you, like it, it just gets trickled down. So now like on air, I know that I need to be my best. And for me, that's keeping myself mentally sharp and alert. And so like, I've been able to like go to a therapist, talk about like situations that have bothered me. Um, and also don't forget like the way that your parents were raised as, you know, like immigrants really mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of people like understand that immigrants were coming here to survive. We're right. now of a generation where we're trying to thrive. So it's mm-hmm. like, it comes with a different weight and the way that you were raised is not the way that like you can live. It's, it's, it's a different dynamic of living today. So like given opportunity. So um, like, you know, like if your parents are just focused on putting food on your table, but now, okay, thank God for their work. I am able to fully put food on my table. Now what, yeah. now what do I do? Um, yeah. Where's my next identity? And so, yeah, like, I, I try to, I have a great support system. I talk to my friends and of all races too. Um, I have a lot of great friends uh, who are allies to the black community and they, they appreciate it when I share, um, you know, what I have to go through because it's some stuff that they would never have to like, really consider or think of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then at the same time, like they also like they ask me good, great questions that are not just the Google questions, like because otherwise they they know that they there's some questions <laughs> that you can just Google at. Um, yeah. But other than that, like I have also like my family and like my aunt Connie, who's been she was the first woman who told me to embrace my curly hair because I was mm-hmm. also like your first daughter straightening my hair all the mm-hmm. time and mm-hmm. to the point where I ruined my curls and. um <laughs> And Connie was like, whoa, 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 let me just show you how to style your curls. And then mm-hmm. I realized, oh, this is, it can look like this. Like, so, and and that's just like one metaphor for just how involved she has been in my life. I called her like my second mom. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You, so first off, when I, I love when the women that come on the show are open about therapy because I feel, especially when you're speaking from anyone who's in the Black community, that used to be considered a stigma. And I think that it should be more normalized. I had a a previous uh, guest who came on and I've taken that term where she's like, therapy should be like an oil change. You know, you go for your regular checkups to make sure that things maintain good. You know, we don't have to wait until things are bad to need therapy. So therapy should be completely normalized and implemented into our regular uh, routine. I think it's a beautiful thing that you have such an amazing support system from the family to allies to Connie, who I know is absolutely amazing. And your point about speaking about, you know, our, our parents and what they were born into and the circumstances that they had to endure. And, you know, it reminded me of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the the comedian Trevor Noah and yes. um, his book, Born a Crime you know, his, his life being born in South Africa during apartheid, um, you know, to an interracial couple of just how heavy mentally and emotionally that may be growing up and, you know, trying to find your identity as to who you are when you consider that even your, your life is like illegal or, you know, um, what some would say is, not okay or acceptable. Like I know my, my kids have, they've been quite open about their experiences with me. So we've been able to talk through things, but I can only imagine, you know, I guess the things that you've had to deal with and accept to come to a place where you are, you know, thriving in an industry and set an example and sharing your story for other women to be inspired so that they can be emboldened to do the same. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Like, um, it's like, you know, it it comes with like a lot of bumps and bruises. It's Mm -hmm. not like, you know, I think people can are starting to see me on a a bigger platform now and they're like, wow, like, that's so cool. That must, I'm like, no, you don't understand like exactly what it took to get here. Yeah. Had to go. I've had, um, comments made to me, um, a few years, just not even graduating from my program. My program was sport media. And so, I went to a, um, a, a an industry person or industry company, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the like sections of the company, the the guy who was in charge, who hired a lot of my happened to be white male um, classmates. You know, he was talking to me, and he wanted me to like tell him some social media ideas and stuff like that. And so I did, and you know, he kind of I had a belittling like type of conversation with him he ended Mm -hmm. up telling me to go back to school to consider changing my degree to just travel the world and like you know it's like you know maybe there's other things he called me a sweetheart even in that Mm. conversation he's very very belittling I wrote it all down and like 
and on like a previous phone. I think I lost it and honestly, probably for the best. And uh, I remember leaving that office and like immediately calling my coworker uh, or like a, just another person from my industry who's a black man, Dwayne Watson. He's also like my mentor, my sponsor, everything. And I called him. And I was like crying on the phone to him. I was like, this, this is what was just said to me. I'm a black woman entering this industry that's already treating me like this. Why would I want to stay in this? Mm-hmm. What if I like, I'm not to like prove his point right, but like, if this is a little taste of what it's going to be, why would I want to put myself through this, this harder, harder road? And like, so it, I literally considered leaving sports. Like, I was like, do I really want to go through this? Like the way that I'm getting treated? Like, mm-hmm. and that was just like my first like real kind of not official interview. Cause it wasn't really an interview. It was more of a conversation um, that I was invited to, but uh, like this is the first taste I'm getting. Like the moment I like left my degree, like why would I, why would I want to pursue this if they're all going to be like this? But then understand yeah. that, like for one, they're not all like that. That was now I could see with like more clear lenses that that was more of a one-off person, and that there are allies even in the corporate system that are still trying to learn and trying to get more diverse. They have other like you know. So there, it, it's a it's a range of people, but mm-hmm. you have to go through those conversations and being demeaned. And you know, you look around the room and you could tell that they're specifically hiring. Like he didn't say that to my other classmates that were already working for him. He mm-hmm. did, he just said that to me, and he knew that I was from the same class as them. So it was like, and then and then at the end of it, like he ended up stealing my ideas. That's the other oh, thing. Wow. Yeah. So like they, they'll make you feel small. They'll make you feel invaluable, but really like your ideas are, and and, and, like your being is just so valuable. There's no Mm -hmm. other way of putting it that I don't know if it's threatening to them or something, but they just don't want to let it in. And they just rather think that, you know, what you have to offer, they could just take. So like the entitlement, I, you know, I, (laughs) I, I am sorry you had that experience. I'm sorry that happened to you. And, and, Like I'm, I'm scratching my head as you're talking because I'm just like, oh, if I was a man. <laughs> like- oh, I know. I mean, it's the audacity for me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was. I I will say this. Like I had an amazing um, entertainment prof at Ryerson and like great relationship with him. He was also a lawyer. I emailed him the entire situation, how it played out. I even had like all the receipts, right? Like I, I made sure even when I left that meeting that I had a bad feeling that like I emailed that person and like just to go over exactly what we talked about, this, 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 this. And mm-hmm. so when he like took one of my ideas, I I emailed him again being like, hey, wasn't aware that you're actually going to use this one. I thought that I, at the very least I would be involved or like notified. Right. Um, and then he basically sent me the worst email back. Like, how dare you? Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, you think blah, blah, blah. But it, like, it was just like, oh my goodness, the tone of the email was awful. Um, and so that was even more like demeaning to like, once again, be just fresh out of school. Um, and so uh, and so when I went to my entertainment prof, like lawyer, he, he's just like, listen, he's like, you could technically fight them on this, but one, you're going to um, like blacklist yourself because even if you do win, no one's going to use you again in the future. Um, and the other thing is it's not even worth it because the amount of money that you're going to spend trying to fight it, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to lose like a lot of money for what? Like, and so I was like, oh, it's a lose-lose situation. So my hands are tied and this is what industries do. And I'm sure this is not the first time you've heard this. And this is not yes, the last time. Having your intellectual property stolen. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Wow. I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps (laughs) right now. Like, first of all, the audacity of even how he spoke to you and to even demean you and talk down to you when you address the fact that he stole your intellectual property. Like, there's, um, I'm not sure if you are familiar with Vivian Kay, but um, she is, well, she, well, I know that she now works with Shopify, but she's the founder of Kinky Curly Yaki, but she's been doing a lot of speaking out um, to empower women who are in these industries where she calls them chads and no offense to any chad out there, <laughs> but you know, to her, chad is the mediocre white man that has the audacity to go after opportunities that he's not qualified for, that he doesn't deserve, but us as women, especially black women, um, you know, because we're so used to being talked down and demeaned and told to like dim our light, we don't go after things. We don't get the opportunities. So she's been, you know, spending her time since the pandemic, basically empowering women to have the audacity to do the Chad things because their sense of entitlement and their audacity. <laughs> so, oh my God. I just, <laughs> like, I'm just thinking about all the, the, the Chads that you've had to deal with. <laughs> and I can't even imagine like, and I'm just thinking, okay, even since the pandemic, cause I know the pandemic has changed a lot of people's industries and how they serve and how they're able to, you know, navigate through the world. So how has the pandemic affected your journey in your industry? Um, The pandemic was like one of the worst and best things that have happened, which is very weird to say. Um, And just quickly to your Chad point, I'm (laughs) I'm still teaching myself to have the audacity of a Chad. (laughs) And man, that's a superpower right there. (laughs) um, But uh, yeah, the pandemic was one of the worst and best things. It was the worst thing because for me at the time, everything felt like it was going right. Like I was a freelancer, but I was working even more than full time. I was almost working like there's some weeks I worked 80 hours a week. And so I was like at CBC working behind the scenes, doing the news. um, And I was doing like everything from the national news to local stations um, as an associate director. And like there, there were already income conversations of like, Hey, would you ever consider being a director? And so like that was going well there and had the opportunity there. And then um, with MLSE kind of just got my, like, you know, like my hosting stuff in order. And like, I was having this like weekly series that went on the Raptors Instagram channel and their Instagram story. And I get to like, you know, do the fun highlights, like, and Mm -hmm. interact with the audience. We ended up, we started with like a, I don't remember the number exactly, but I think it was around like a hundred thousand views for that story uh, a week. And then by the time, like the pandemic hit, we were up to like 300,000 views for that story a week. And so like all in all, we're over like well over the millions as a total collective. And so that was going super well. And then they started like being like, Hey, like we might get you sideline reporting for our G league team. Um, You know, there's like, we have an opportunity here for you to travel. And it's like, travel, travel. I don't want to get too much of the details, (laughs) but like, it was a really great opportunity. And so I was like, oh my goodness, the summer's gonna be crazy. I had to make a choice between like this huge travel opportunity with like MLSC and the Raptors or even the potential like the Olympics with CBC. Like that's a great (laughs) problem to have. Right. And so, and then boom, like problem no more, the pandemic happened (laughs) and like everything was off the table. And so naturally like I go from, wow, I'm kind of like 
hitting a stride, like, you know, going from this naysayer down here, how I started my career to up here where all these opportunities are kind of happening at the same time to bop, like all the way down. CBC cut like all of its shows except for one. I had like one show a week with them. Like, it was like the 5 a.m. one on a Sunday morning. And that was just brutal. Um, and like, that's not enough to pay your bills. Like when you live downtown Toronto, you're not, right. you're not, you're not surviving <laughs> off of that. Um, and like MLSC, they, they ended up coming out with this big statement being like, we're going to hire or um, not hire, but like take care of the people who supported us in like various roles. And that included the freelancers that were working for them. So it's like, okay, cool. I don't know what that means. And so that was all up in the air in March and April. And then eventually, I think in May, that's when like MLSE reached back out to me and they negotiated me to, to, to work for them as a producer, okay, mm-hmm. as, as a producer. And I said to them, I was like, well, I was doing some on-air stuff with you guys before. I would really like to add, you know, the hosting into that as well. And they say yes. <laughs> wow. But it's kind of funny because like, and that's why I could actually like, and I really wanted that in writing, even though they said like, hey, well, we will, you know, you, you're a producer, but you will be a host anyway. So I was like, yeah, but like I wanted it in writing. Yes. And so when it was written down, I felt like, okay, now I could seriously say that like I am the second black woman on air in sports for Canada full time hosting. Right. Because I, I don't know, I felt like that was important to, to get down. I had talked to Kayla Gray actually about it, about that decision too. And she was like, yes, you need that down. Like you need to get that. Absolutely. And so I was like, okay. <laughs> and so that, that was the, um, the big negotiation factor there. And then, um, and then this, this past year has been in, like interesting because obviously George Floyd um, mm-hmm. happened. Like, I don't you know, we, we need to have like a, a, a signature word, like a time frame of George Floyd. Like, Absolutely. I don't want to just say George Floyd happened. Like, yeah. it was yeah. more than that. It was like yeah. a whole movement took place. Like, lives were changed. The world changed in May. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. we just passed the, the anniversary a couple days ago now. And I would say that was one of the best things that has happened for my career. As, as And that's just being completely honest. Because I don't want it to take another Black life. But because there's so much media attention on how that how it occurred how every systematic and systemic factor led to George Floyd mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. you know businesses had to take a hard look in the mirror being like what are we doing like are we we're not humanizing black people you know mm-hmm. we take from their culture but we're not humanizing the people they're not getting the same opportunities mm-hmm. and so because of that many companies Masai Ujiri has been very outspoken even on like what he feels he wants to do better but what he's also asking out of all other companies across Canada, across the world, really, and what the expectation is. So with that being in place, you know, other diversity leaders were put in place at organizations. You know, at MLSC, we had John Wiggins almost immediately hired in July. And he is like the cultural organization, sorry, organizational culture and inclusion leader for the Toronto Raptors, a vice president for them. And so, yeah. And, and then there's another woman that got hired at MLSC as a, as a VP as well. Um, and she oversees like everything. Her name is Terry Dennis Davies. And like, so you put these people in place that like you put people of color, black people in decision-making positions, you're going to see a difference. And mm-hmm. so because of them, you know, I was able to also kind of get more opportunities. Also my direct managers and my direct bosses, um, they also recognize how important it was for representation as well. Not that mm-hmm. they really didn't before, but like, it's just that much more clear. Right. And they like, yeah, we need to put 
we need to give Savannah an opportunity. And I earned, I won't say like, I'm not going to like sit here and be like, they just gave it to me. No, I earned that. Like right, you know, right. between the Instagram stories with the high viewership between, um, you know, then me pitching, I pitch, 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 pitch. I, like nothing's given to me like Chad, like mm-hmm. I pitch my ideas to them. And like, and like, I feel like that's what, that's why they and like they're I make sure that they're good so they have to stay <laughs> <laughs> and so I pitch like this like social justice and like social media tied together type of thing segment in our daily or yeah it's kind of like a daily raptor show raptors today and that, that would live for like five to six minutes within the show and they're like yeah that makes sense like we want to get more conversation going you don't want to just it to end with George Floyd's so we'll we'll keep that. And so we called that RTX, Raptors Today Extra, within mm-hmm. the show. And then eventually that went so well. Like I really, once again, earned my stripes as a host for that. And then they had me hosting the entire Raptors Today show uh, by the time the next season rolled around. Wow. And so there's lots of little factors. And then um, and then I was challenged um, back in January um, from like MLK Day that's coming up and John Wiggins, the same diversity vice president for the Raptors, you know, he directly challenged me. He's like, uh, he's like, create something for Black History Month that we can use um, mm-hmm. that's going to showcase community stories. And I was like, oh man, I can't <laughs> let him down. Like I gotta get, there's no way. I felt so much pressure. I was like, oh, dang it. But hey, pressure makes diamonds. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, literally crossing the street downtown Toronto and I always like almost get hit by cars that like how many near misses guys <laughs> I've had <Jeez. laughs> I swear I have a target on my back but they, anyways I was crossing the street downtown Toronto and the name hold space just like occurred to me and I was mm-hmm. like I want people to just hold space like BIPOC people to share their stories of how they got to where they are in their industry. Cause just like my story of being one of the very few black women and just like you, Makimi as well, like I'm sure being one of the very few black women in media, it's hard to hold that space sometimes and, mm-hmm. and you've got to celebrate those. And so, you know, that's why like my, my log line for hold space is celebrating game changers on and off the court. And so I, we did, a. um, black history series of hold space where I, and it just also happened to be all black women the way that it worked out. I wasn't even targeting it like that. I was just like, Oh wow. Like, yes, she broke a barrier. She broke a barrier. She Mm -hmm. broke a, she broke a, wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and the funny thing about hold space is that, you know, I got a call from once again, Dwayne, my mentor at the end of black history month. And he was like, do you mind if we use this? He's like, I know you created it. But I, I have to ask permission if we could use this for all of the other like teams and brands across MLSE. And he's like, you might wow. not been his things. Like, you might not be able to host it because like you might not always be the right voice for something. But like, do you mind if we use that platform? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> like that's the goal. If something, if I could create something that lives outside of me, that's going to tell other people's Legacy. stories. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thank you. So. You know, I saw the Leafs, like the Toronto Maple Leafs. They recently used Hold Space for an interview themselves to have a conversation about diversity and inclusion. And, you know, like with the traditional hockey culture, we know, I don't even got to explain that. Um, <laughs> and so that was really special to me when I saw that. I was like, wow, that, that's really cool. Wow. Like, uh, so I have goosebumps right now. And this is this is mm-hmm. really the reason why. So I used to call my community Faith Walkers because it was about walking by faith. But I realized the more and more that 
I have been interviewing you amazing women. It is really about the legacy that you're leaving behind. So I changed the name of the community to the community to legacy leavers. And even as you're talking about, you know, the name of hold space and how they it's evolved into something that is, it is leaving a legacy, but it is something that you created. Like, I just love that on so many different levels. Thank you. It was really special when I, when he asked me that, cause I was like, um, absolutely go right ahead. And we've had, you know, Asian history month, we've had other voices on hold space, just kind of have a platform, um, Asian voices that uh, can actually talk candidly about Asian hate crimes. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, even it, it was even great because even even in Asian hate, uh, Heritage Month, I was able to interview the deputy commissioner of the NBA, who's like mm-hmm. literally the second in command in charge of the NBA, like the wow. whole entire league. And all wow. its entities and property. So, and he happens to be half Jamaican, and um, uh, he grew up, his his mother's of Chinese background, but they believe they grew up in Vietnam. And wow. so, we are talking just about all this. And if you asked me back in February when I got <laughs> put on the spot to create a series that's gonna like have just it was originally just for Black History Month, I would have never thought that I was gonna interview a guy, a man like that, like uh, such a powerful mm-hmm. person in our industry like that. I love it. I love it so much. And it, you know, for all those ladies listening, like it's just a reminder. Sometimes we are challenged to come outside of our comfort zone, but when you are creating and you're operating in your area of genius, things that happen are far greater than what you ever would have expected to happen. Absolutely. So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell the listeners where they can stay connected, where they can get more from Savannah. Absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram um, at Sav, S-A-V, Hamilton, um, H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N 11 on both Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. Awesome. So I will definitely have the links to your socials in the detailed section below your episodes. They don't have to search too far. They can just click and connect with you directly. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for having me on. (laughs) Thank you so much. I mean, before um, we end the show, we're going to do what I call a walk in her wisdom. And it's just a couple quick reflection questions. And you can share whether it be one word or one sentence, whatever comes to mind. Okay. So name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. That's a hard one. There's so many. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um okay the first one that's coming to mind more so as of recently is um how to win f- friends and influence people mm-hmm. okay if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it what would it say and why Ooh, well you gotta do Times square first and foremost you gotta do it big you gotta do it, gotta do it big <laughs> Times square um and i think something that i'm Oh, see, I ha- I love quotes, so I have a thousand in my mind swirling right now. It's really hard for me to choose. This is not rapid. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> I feel like I would do something that my mom told me back in first year that got me through a really rough time, and that is, you are stronger than you think. Hmm. Love it. Yeah, love it. I will, we'll we'll talk a, another time about it. But after these borders open back up, um, yep. I, it, listen. If you want that billboard in Times Square, I, I got you. I had one there a couple years ago. No and, way. Uh, yeah, it was for my my last book, the Couples Gratitude Journal. But you know, when you're young, dumb, and in love, and you um, 
do things you shouldn't do. So I had. <laughs> I'm gonna okay. say. Okay, okay, we all learned. <laughs> I, I included my my. He was my partner at the time that I thought was going to be my life partner. I included him on that billboard with me. So I don't no longer promote that billboard, but (laughs) (laughs) it's okay. It's just like when you start to learn to don't post your partner, unless it's like you're hella married on your Instagram. (laughs) Lesson learned. (laughs) Okay. We all learn. We all learn. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. Um, What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family, Hmm. Yeah, my, ooh, I've been better at saying no to, it sounds weird, but people who want to waste my time. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not benefiting me, then I don't need that. I hear you. Uh, Okay. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? I truly love... Okay, it's it's very cliche, but you can do anything. And mm-hmm. it's not just it doesn't just stop there. It's switch your I can't into how. How mm-hmm. can I? How can I? Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay, last but not least, what do you wish women would do more of? Be more like Chad. <laughs> <laughs> I love um. it. <laughs> Honestly, maybe I should just leave it right there. <laughs> like, oh no, like honestly, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Hold space. Take up space. Be loud. Like yes. even if you're even if you're wrong, be loud about it. <laughs> like hey, the, the more loud, like the louder you are, the less you're gonna hear no. <laughs> so yeah, be I like Chad. <laughs> I love it. Wow, thank you so much, Savannah, for taking the time to share your story with us. I truly, truly appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, and I, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, creating space for me on this platform as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to all of you legacy leavers out there until next time, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show on Apple podcast. And thanks to you guys. The show now ranks globally in the top 2% of most popular shows out of like over 2 million podcasts globally. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you have not yet grabbed one of my personal development books available online everywhere, please do so. And if you can think of one person that would receive value from hearing Savannah's testimony, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Savannah at SavHamilton11 and you can tag myself at the real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. 